You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. All right, well, good morning. It's uh, good to see you all. Uh, it, is, uh, it's feel, it feels like it's been a long time. It's just been a week since we were together. I'm glad to be back in this room. If you were with us last week, you know that this was chaotic in here. <laughs> um, thank the Lord that the sound system works and it's not uh, loud popping for us. If we don't know each other, I am Nick. I'm the pastor here in Alani Life. And now is the time in our service where we get to do a Bible study together. And I love this part of our, our weekly rhythm. If you haven't heard me say that before, you will hear me say it again. It is uh, something I'm deeply passionate about. We here in this church love encountering Jesus through the word, and we're going to continue to do that week in and week out. I know many of you, you've studied our passage in your small groups, and I love hearing about how that went. I love hearing the questions that came up, the applications, the ways you felt challenged by the word of the Lord as you looked at it. But now we get to do that together, and that's a beautiful thing as we gather and we look at the word and see what the Lord has for us. So that's what we're up. That's what's up next. That's what we're doing. Now, to get started, though, I want to share a brief proud dad moment. And, you know, I like to brag about my son. I like to talk about him. I love him. Uh, if, you, if you know Nathan, you know he is an active, curious, and energetic four-year-old little boy, like several of the others that, are running, that run around here. Now, for about two years, Nathan has been cruising around our neighborhood on a balance bike, right? Have you seen these? They're pedalist bikes, just two wheels. They help them learn how to ride bikes and, and balance He's so fast on it, Amy and I often have to sprint to catch up to him, stop him before, you know, he gets to an intersection or something. Uh, But last week, we decided he was ready for a pedal bike. So last weekend, we went to the bike shop, and we picked out this beautiful orange and red, orangish red Trek bike. I'm partial to Trek. I ride bikes a lot. I love riding bikes, and that's my brand. Anyways, Nathan, I think... I don't know if I was more excited or he was more excited, but it was a new bike day, and that is a great day. So there he is. Uh, I love riding bikes. I hope he he loves riding it. Uh, But he has to learn, right? Now, I mentioned he's, he's good at the balance thing. The balance bike has taught him that. The pedaling thing, not so much. So that's what we're learning right now. That's what he's working on. It's a new thing. There's pedals that makes you go. There's a break that makes you stop, so we're learning all those different motions. So we got going, going around our block, right? And he started working on pedaling, and he's concentrating so hard, grunting and striving to push those pedals and get going, right? Work on that motion of constant forward pedaling. Often, he's concentrating so much that he's looking down at his pedals as he keeps trying to crank them and figure it out. You start to see where this is going? Not so good when you're riding a bike, right? So eventually, he gets going. He's getting the hang of it. He gets up some speed, and he's staring down at his pedals. And then he looks off over to the side as he veers off the sidewalk over some pavers and almost into a tree. He falls over, scrapes his new bike and himself, and with tears and sobs, he declares, I don't like this bike. I'm never riding it again, as he's picking it up and getting back on it, right? It's life with a four-year-old. It's confusing. Uh, I love it. I gave him a hug. Amy was there. She, she consoled him. He showed us his scrapes, and Amy gave him a kiss. Uh, he got back on his bike, and we talked about why it happened. He took his eyes off of where he was going. He lost focus on what he was doing. 
and encouraged him. Keep your eyes focused in the right direction. And that's what I wanted to draw your attention to. Getting back on the bike, putting your focus in the right direction. Those are the key elements of our passage this morning. Those are the things that I hope you see as, we, as you were studying this passage, and I hope that we'll see this morning. In an encounter with Jesus, Peter, one of the disciples, he is restored after he has abandoned Jesus at the night of his arrest. Jesus puts him back on track. He focuses his, his eyes back on himself, on Jesus. And as we look at our passage, there, we're going to see this morning that when we fall, Jesus picks us back up and puts us back on track. When we miss it, Jesus refocuses us. If you remember nothing else this morning, remember this. Remember that Jesus steps into our failures and restores us. Let's take a look at our passage and see how we get there and see how that unfolds. Now, if, just to frame in the context, if, you, if you're not familiar with, this is right at the end of John's Gospel, chapter 21. And we're going to pick up right in the middle of the third and final appearance to the disciples that the resurrected Jesus uh, is, ha- has with them. And, and John records that at the end of his gospel. The disciples, they're out fishing, or a, a number of them are out fishing on the Sea of Galilee. In your translation, it might say Sea of Tiberias. They're the same thing. It's just another name. Uh, it's, it's synonymous and uh, different ways of referring to the same body of water. And they've been out fishing, and they've been out all night, we know from the text. And they haven't caught a thing. So I guess they've forgotten how to be good fishermen, right? And Jesus, he appears on the shores and he calls out to them. And he says, put the nets on the other side of the boats, right? And if you know this story, they do. And immediately the the nets are so full of fish, they can't even get them back in the boat. And they realize it's Jesus. Immediately they know, this is Jesus. He's here again. And so they make their way to the beach and they join him for breakfast on the beach. That's where we pick up. They've had breakfast. Jesus turns to Peter, and he starts to interact with him. He has a conversation, and that's what we're focusing on this morning. Let's read and see what Jesus has to share with Peter. Picking up in in verse 15 of chapter 1. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So the disciples and Jesus have finished breakfast. Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him a question. Not just once, three times he asks him the same question. Peter responds all three times. And understandably, he's bothered. He's starting to get agitated. He's grieved, John tells us. Now, at face value, we could wonder what's going on in this encounter, right? Why does Jesus ask Peter three times? Did he not hear Peter respond the first two times? It's a valid question. Was he not satisfied with Peter's response? Uh, Is he trying to make a point here? 
What's going on, right? That's, it begs the question, why three times? And I think there's a lot going on here, a lot that we could easily miss in our English translations. And from hearing your discussions this week, I know some of you picked up on or at least have some, um, some awareness of, of Greek and different Greek words for, for love that are used here in this passage. And that they carry different meaning, different depth. And that might be at play here. Knowing that helps us understand this passage, helps add some dimension or depth to it. Let me show you what I mean by that. So there are different words in Greek for love. Four primary ones, but in this passage, there are two at use. Agape is, is one that is a deep, holistic love. God's love for us is often noted by that word. It's unconditional, whole self-giving love. Another word is phileo, which is often translated brotherly love or the love of a close friend. Both words are at use in this passage. Jesus asked Peter his question initially. Peter, do you unconditionally love me? With your whole self, do you love me, Peter? Agape. Peter responds to Jesus by saying, Yes, Lord, you know that I like you. We're great, we're great friends. We're brothers, right? I, I, phileo. The first two questions and responses, they follow that pattern. Agape, phileo. Jesus asks, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, I like you. you know, and, and then in the final question, Jesus, he, he says, Peter, do, do you like me like a brother? Do you love me like a brother? And Peter responds, yes, I do. Phileo. So, see, we can, we can sort of miss some of the, the disparity here in our English translations. But there is a difference in the words being used in this interaction. The difference in the response and the question. The question and the response. That said, there's a lot of debate on what that means. A lot of debate among scholars. You pick up commentaries, you'll see what's really going on at the heart of this mismatch. Jesus asking if Peter loves unconditionally, and Peter saying, yeah, sure, I, I like you, Jesus. That's, that's clear in the text. That's, those words are there. The debate is on what depth John is drawing out there. What, what, what's clear? Is this just sort of a literary device he's using so he doesn't use the same word six times in, in the matter of three verses? Is that just sort of a, you know, elsewhere John can use the words interchangeably, even describing himself as the, the disciple Jesus loved, using both words uh, so there's some, some questioning of, if, of the, the purpose or the intention of the writer. And I think those are valid scholarly works. You might read that in a study note. You might read that in a commentary. But don't let it detract from the fact that there is something key going on in the responses. The heart of what is going on is Peter's response. And it's right to press in there, to dig in there. I don't think we're ever going to solve what was John's original you know, intent. What did he really mean by this? Was he just using some stylistic flourish? Now, remember with me who Peter was, because that's the key to understanding his responses. Peter, he was the zealous leader of the disciples, the rock on which Jesus said he would build his church. He's the first to speak up and take action when, when Jesus challenges the disciples. He's the one that declared, I will follow you wherever you go and lay down my life for you, Jesus. He's the one who pulled out a sword and struck the ear of the high priest's guard when Jesus was arrested, ready to go to battle to die for Jesus. 
That was Peter, wasn't it? Was Peter before Jesus was arrested, before he was crucified. As Peter put away the sword that night and believe and watched Jesus be arrested, I believe he also put away and arrested his commitment. Doubt rose up in him. He followed along to see what happened to Jesus, but, but then three times denies that he even knows Jesus, that he was a follower of Jesus. He distances himself from Jesus, unsure of what he's willing to do now for this man. And so the, the Peter we see in our passage, the Peter Jesus is encountering, is a shadow of who he was prior He's not the leader of the disciples, not the zealous Jesus follower. And we know he's, he's returned to fishing, right? He's, he's no longer the dedicated disciple. He's, he's picked up back his trade that he was before. He's a fisherman once again. In the aftermath of his failure, he returned to his old life, doing what he had done before Jesus called him and said, come, follow me. All of this, I believe is evident in, in Peter's response to Jesus. He's no, when, when questioned his love, he's no longer declaring the great depths of his love and, and the commitment he will fulfill, what depths or what heights he will go to for Jesus, right? Before, I will lay down my life for you. I will go to the ends of the earth for you, Jesus. How, how does he respond now? It's a muted Peter, a different Peter. He simply tells Jesus, you know I love you. That's it. You know, I love you. This is a broken Peter, a doubting Peter, a Peter with guilt, wondering if he'd bail on Jesus again when push comes to shove. Peter's response, it seems to say, despite my shortcomings, despite my failure, Jesus, I love you and and you know that I love you. And that's it. It's not not a love that motivates him or, or inspires him to do more. Peter's unsure of himself. But Jesus, Jesus isn't. Jesus is still confident in Peter. He affirms him. He affirms Peter's calling. He restores him. Tells him, your work is to care for my people, to pastor believers, to nourish them to spiritual maturity. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Pastor the flock. That's Jesus' Jesus' call to Peter. After denying Jesus three times, three times, Peter asks, or Jesus asks Peter to affirm his love and his commitment. And each time Peter does, Jesus builds him back up, reaffirming his calling, reestablishing what, what he has meant uh, Peter to do. And that's true because that's what Jesus does for us. Because when we fall, Jesus is there to pick us up and restore us, to put us back on track. That's what he did for Peter, and that's what he does for you and I. That's what he does for us in our lives. Our failings, they're they're not the end of us, just like they weren't the end of Peter. They're not the sum total of who we are. They They don't set our trajectory. Jesus has paid for all our sins, and we stand righteous before God. If Jesus can restore Peter, if Jesus can restore Peter who denied him, on the night of his arrest, before his crucifixion, he can restore him to leading the church, to caring for believers. How much more can he restore us when we fall?
How much more can he restore us when we give in to temptation, hurt a friend, or wrong a loved one? Now, now don't get me wrong. There are consequences for our actions, right? It's, it's not that uh, Jesus just overlooks everything, right? There are, there are earthly consequences when you break laws, when you fracture relationships, when you create and so um, emotional turmoil. Yet we're never beyond the grace of God. We're never beyond the restorative work of Jesus in our lives. He's there to pick us back up and put us back on track when we fall. That's what he did for Peter. Let's keep reading and see what else he does, how he continues to to build Peter up. So we're going to pick back up in our passage, and here we're going to see Jesus prepare Peter for the future that he faces. Let's read. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me. It's an echo of what Jesus first said to him and called him to be his disciple. He calls him again. Just as Jesus did at the Last Supper, he warns Peter of the future that he's going to uh, encounter. He does it in an effort to prepare him, to warn him. He tells Peter in his old age he will lose his freedom being dressed by another and led where he doesn't want to go ultimately stretching out his arms to be crucified. This is clear imagery, clear reference to crucifixion. Stretching out your arms was the way they described what happens when you're tied to the crossbeam and forced to carry it to your execution site. Jesus, in in these verses, he just warned Peter of the gruesome death he he will eventually come to know. At the end, Jesus says, you will lay down your life for me. You will fulfill that. Jesus has warned Peter and prepared him. Just as as Peter said he would go to the ends with Jesus and lay down his life, one day he will be called to do so. And so at that moment, I have to wonder, what is Peter thinking, right? He already said he would do this, and then he bailed on it, right? What's going through his mind? The last time he faced crisis, he, he denied Jesus, Will he do it again? Will he falter? When, when he's faced with crucifixion, will he say he doesn't know Jesus? Will he go back on his word? Well, history, it tells us he didn't. Peter remained true to his commitment to follow Jesus. And we know uh, some 30 years later, he was, he was crucified in Rome, AD 64, during the reign of Nero, who killed a lot of Christians, not just Peter at this time. Church tradition, it tells us that, that Peter requested to be, uh, to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way that Jesus had died, not seeing himself equal or fit. But he stayed true. He laid down his life for Jesus in the end. I think, I think it's beautiful, the compassion Jesus has as he restores Peter. He, he tells him what's coming. He tells him that you're going to endure this, this death, this execution. But for nearly three decades, Peter 
serves Jesus. He has a chance to care for the flock, to preach the gospel, to lead the church. For nearly three decades, he knew what was coming, but he served Jesus with his life. All along, knowing that he would give, give his life for his God and King. So as Jesus lifts Peter back up, he prepares him for the future that's ahead. It's the gentleness of Jesus. It's the gentleness of Jesus preparing Peter for the moment where he'll be tested again. He'll come face to face with, does he, does he hold true to his commitment to Jesus? So often that's the way Jesus does things in our lives, right? We don't know the purpose of the trials we're going through, or the hardships we face, or, or even the lessons we're learning until years later when we're called on to use those, to draw on that strength, to trust in Jesus and the things that he's built up in us and the endurance that's been built. And so as Jesus picks us up, he prepares us for the future of what lies ahead. He prepares us to stand against that temptation, that sin, or that, uh, that failure again in the future. And we keep reading and see how, how this passage wraps up. In our final section, Jesus refocuses Peter, focuses him on his calling. Let's read, picking up in uh, verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple who was, was not to die. Yet, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So here the scene expands, right? So far we've had Jesus and Peter talking. And the scene expands, and, and John, he tells us that he's present, right? Um, if you didn't know, John, throughout, the, throughout his gospel, he refers to himself, not by name, but as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which sometimes can seem comical to us, almost arrogant, maybe boastful. Actually, it's, it's kind of maybe quite the opposite is, is what, we would, what we would believe in their culture. It's sort of a humble way of him keeping the gospel focused on Jesus, the, the whole book focused on Jesus rather than himself, inserting himself in the narrative and name-dropping that I was there, I was present, right? This would have been seen in their culture, putting your name, writing yourself into the story would have been boastful or, or self-promoting, been arrogant, right? So, so by referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which he does throughout the book, um, we know that he's present. We know that he's there and encountering all these things. But we don't have to be drawn our attention quite so much to, oh, that's John, the author of the gospel. Okay, so John, he's in tow. He's there at least. And, and likely the other disciples, they've all just had breakfast and Peter and Jesus are, are talking. And they've continued. They've walked down the beach, it seems. And Peter, he's just been told what he's going to, he's going to die of crucifixion in his old age. He's been restored by Jesus. They've had this conversation about his love for Jesus. What does he do? He turns and says, what about him? What about him? What's going to happen to John? Jesus responds, and he refocuses Peter on his calling. You follow me, he says. Don't worry about others. Don't worry about what I've called them to do. I've called you 
to care for my church. You follow me. You see, we have this beautiful moment between Peter and Jesus. Jesus has given Peter, reinstated his calling, reinstated him after he's denied him. Jesus, he's, he's told Peter what his job is to do. It's to take care of the church. It's to preach the gospel. It's to, it's to care for those in spiritual need. And he does that by following Jesus. He tells Peter to keep his eyes locked on him. Look forward, he says. And Peter's response, but, but what is he going to do, right? What about him? What's he get? What's going to happen to him? Is he, <laughs> what's his future hold? Jesus' response, what is that to you? You follow me. I told you what to do. Eyes ahead. Not to the side, not at your pedals. Eyes ahead, right? Watch where you're going, Peter. You're following me. That's where we're headed. I wonder how often do you and I do the same? How often do we encounter Jesus and then we get distracted? We lose sight of where he's leading us, where he's called us, the ways he's gifted us. We wonder, what if it was more like that? Or what if I had these things? Or or that church or that ministry or that calling, right? What if I had those gifts, those resources? With those thoughts, Jesus just responds. He says, what is that to you? You follow me. We're going. You follow me. Or, or we could wonder, what if, what if I looked more like that or, or acted more like that? Or what if my personality was more that way? Or, or what if I was thinner or faster or smarter or, or better at this sport or, or better at that thing? And those thoughts, Jesus says, I made you. I made you for a purpose. I've called you. Those things are inconsequential. What is that to you? You follow me. I've called you. See, comparing ourselves to others, worrying about what others get, worrying about their calling, it robs us of our joy. It pulls us off track. It veers us off the sidewalk and almost into the tree. It causes us to crash. It muddies the waters of purpose in our lives. It pulls us off track from following Jesus. It pulls us off where he's aimed us at, where we're supposed to be looking and focused. So listen, you are not the person sitting next to you. You're not your brother or sister. You're not your, your parents. You're not the professor or that superstar you want to be. You're a person created by God, called by Jesus and given a purpose. Live into that purpose. Follow Jesus. Keep your gaze set on him and, and fulfill that calling. Don't worry about others' calling. Don't worry about what they've gotten. Worry about what you've been given and how to follow Jesus. You follow me, Jesus said. He says to Peter, that's what he says to us. And no matter how we stumble, how we blow it, how we miss it, how many times we veer off and crash, Jesus is there to pick us up, to put us back on the bike and focus our eyes forward. He invites us to get back on and follow him. And so in our passage this morning, we see a gentle Jesus, but a strong Jesus. We see a Jesus that gently restores Peter, but firmly keeps him focused on him. In a moment of Peter's insecurity and doubt, Peter, Jesus steps in and he encounters him. He's close to him. And he builds him back up. He restores him to his calling. And he focuses him back on what matters, on following Jesus. 
When Peter was a, form, was a shadow of his former self, Jesus showed up and refreshed his calling, reminded him of, that, uh, of his calling to, to shepherd the flock, to care for others, to preach Jesus. And we know that, that Peter went on and did it. We read the book of Acts together at the start of the year, didn't we? We saw him doing it. Jesus was direct and strong, yet he was loving and gentle, and he does the same thing in our lives. Same thing for you and I. He graciously prepared Peter for the future ahead, and he does the same thing for us. Through the word, through those around us, through his Holy Spirit. And then, and then Peter, as he started to turn his eyes the wrong direction, Jesus focused him back, and he does the same for us. He does the same for us. He says, keep your eyes on me. Follow me. Focus on me. See, before Jesus' arrest, right, Peter, he was ready to die for Jesus, right? Ready to go to battle and lay down his life. But he didn't know how to live for Jesus. He didn't know how to live for Jesus. So when he was faced with, what do I do now? He went back to fishing. And the resurrected Jesus came to him, sat with him. He talked with him. He walked with him. And he restored him. He built him back up. He called him to go back to following him, to care for his sheep, to feed the flock. He reminded him of his work was, what his work was to do and to focus on Jesus. Jesus is doing the same for you. He's focusing you on him. Follow him. Come follow me, he says. Focus your eyes on me. Eyes forward. We're going. Pray with me.